Ephesians chapter number 3. Before I get into the message tonight, I want to, if I can find it here real quick, I often share our burden for um, here it is. I often share our burden for, for the mission field and, and what God's called us to do. But in every church we go to, my wife and I, we have a burden for that church. It's not just the mission field. And so this is our burden for the church. In 2 Corinthians 10, 15, it says, Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having faith when you're but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. Paul obviously is talking to the church at Corinth, and he's saying when your faith is increased, we, the missionary, will be enlarged to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. You're about to have a uh, missions conference I love missions conferences. Um, But think of it this way, folks. Every missionary that comes through here, we, we live by faith. Yes, we live by faith of our own, um, our own faith in God, but we also live by the faith, your faith. We live by the faith of God's people. Think about it. If you have faith promise, you give by faith. If you take us on for support, which obviously we would pray that that would happen, you take us on for support, and we have faith that through your faith, you're going to give the money that we need. So we live by your faith. So keep that in mind. When your, so when your faith is increased, we shall be enlarged. Amen. So that's, that's our burden for, for you guys for a, as a church. We pray that your faith would increase so that we can be enlarged, so that we can go to Russia and preach to the regions beyond you. So that is our burden for you you all as well. I just wanted to share that with you um, before we get into the message tonight. So let's get into the message tonight. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, let's go ahead and stand one last time for the reading of God's Word here in Ephesians chapter 3. We'll just read a few verses here. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may, be, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He goes on a, a little bit to finish the sentence, but I, I just I want to focus on verse, verse 1. It says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you so much for all that you've done for us and and your blessings that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you just please be with me as I preach your word. Lord, I pray you'd fill me with your power. I pray that it'd be your message, not mine. Lord, that your message would be heard tonight. pray that you'd speak to hearts as I speak to ears. And Lord, I pray that your will would be done, that you'd be exalted throughout all of it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. He starts off with those first three words in chapter 3. For this cause. For what cause? Well, let's look at it. He says, um, as I wrote in verse, 
at the end of verse 3, he says, As I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. So let's go back to chapter 2, where he wrote afore in a few words. It says in verse 1, And you hath he quickened. Remember, he's talking to the church of Ephesus here. It says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also when all, our, when all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. So he goes on. He's starting off here, and he's reminding the church of Ephesus where they were. In verses 1 and 2, he says that they were dead in trespasses and sins. He says that they had walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And verse 3, they walked in the lust of the flesh, and they fulfilled the desires of the flesh. But then in verse 4, he opens up with, but God. Man, how many times has God intervened on our, on our behalf? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. He said, all right, you're going down this path. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were walking according to the, to the course of this world. But God. So he's saying, all right, this is where you were. And then God intervened and turned you around. Now look where, where they are. Uh, we know 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So they knew, okay, so it is by, uh, it says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. So then he goes on and explains that he has quickened us together in verse 9. Uh, I'm sorry, hang on, I'm getting confused here. In verse 5, He's quickened us together with Christ. It is by grace that we're saved. And then he goes on in verse 12. This is where we're at. In verse 12, he says that at the time when you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye, were, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You've got to remember, these are Gentiles. These weren't Jews. So they, they were automatically, before then, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So now because of their salvation and, and their understanding that God had intervened on their behalf because they were dead in trespasses and sins, hey, look, now we're made nigh to Christ. Look in verse 19. He says, Now therefore are you no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, and whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So, I, I hope you're getting the correlation here. The, the Ephesians were dead in trespasses and sins. They were walking, of course, to the courting of the, uh, of the world and in the flesh. And then God intervened. And he said, by faith are you saved. And they understood that. And they got saved. And hey, look, now they're, they're made nigh to, to Christ. And now they're fellow heirs with, with Christ. 
He says in verse 19 that they are no more strangers but, or, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. So then we get to chapter 3. And he says, for this cause. So now we kind of understand more. Well, what cause is he talking about? Well, for the cause of Christ, that Christ would be made manifest through them. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. So let's talk about this a little bit tonight. I want to talk on this subject, for the cause of Christ. For the cause of Christ. So we've got to remember, though, who's, who's writing this. Paul's writing this. So how did Paul get to this point? How did Paul get from killing Christians to, uh, and persecuting the church of God to being a prisoner of Jesus Christ to preaching his gospel? Well, let's just go back to Acts 9. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 says in verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were, op- and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So somewhere between verse 5 and 6, Saul gets saved because he's, he asks, well, who art thou, Lord? And then in verse 6, he's trembling and astonished and says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So somewhere between there, Saul realizes his need, hey, uh, this is it. I need to be saved. So in order, oh, well, and Matthew 7, 20 says, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. Obviously we know that Paul got saved. Um, so we know that Paul got saved. But in order to do anything for the cause of Christ, we have to do this one thing. Before anything else can happen, we have to be saved. We can't do anything for the cause of Christ unless if we know 100% for sure and put our faith and trust in Christ. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm pretty sure we're talking to a group of believers here, but maybe there's one here that maybe not doesn't quite understand. So we realize that we're sinners. There's nobody perfect except for Christ himself. And we realize that the penalty for that sin is death and hell in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. We know that it's not talking about our physical death, but about our spiritual death. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. We we know every man's going to die. But then in in Revelation 20.14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's a penalty for our sin. Not only is there, not only are we sinners, there's a penalty for our sin. But there's good news. It's what Christ came to die for. He came to die for our sin so that he could pay our sin debt. In Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. And we obviously know that we have to receive that payment. It's a free gift for us, folks. Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, it's a free gift. You didn't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to do anything to keep it. I didn't have to do anything to earn my salvation when I was an eight-year-old boy. I talked with my mom, and she showed me from the Bible how I can know. And it was relatively simple. It's not complicated. So you must be saved in order to do anything for the cause of Christ. Second, look in, uh, look in verse 6 of Acts 9. Look what he says. He says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We're not going to be able to do anything for the cause of Christ unless if we're saved, but you have to be willing to surrender. Surrender. Oftentimes we, we think or we might have a misconception that thinks surrender is only for preachers or for missionaries or for those in the ministry. Mm. No, folks, surrender is for every Christian. Yeah. Surrender, let, here, let me read you the definition of, of surrender. To give up, to resign, as to surrender the breath. The breath. You know what our surrender is? It's another definition is to yield to any influence, passion, or power, to surrender oneself to grief, to despair, to indolence, or to sleep. We yield ourselves to any influence, any passion or power. We got sports on Sunday. Well, you know what takes the preeminence? My sports game, not church. We yield to any passion or any power that we think that, oh, we got a job now. And now we're in a position of power. So let me yield to that. Instead of to give up, to resign as to surrender the breath. When was the last time you said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it even to the breath. I don't want to do anything outside of your will. I don't want to take another breath outside of your will. I surrender down to my breath. Instead, we surrender to any influence, passion, or power in this world. And Yeah, that's, that, takes, that takes the preeminence in my life. That takes priority. Surrender. True salvation... Well, hang on. When you got saved, did you just get saved so that you could just, I come to church every Sunday morning and Sunday night, and this is my spot, and I'm a pew warmer. Is that, is that really why God saved us? Did God save us just to come and, and sit in church and warm a pew? Or did God save us to use us? When you got saved, there was a turning, at least I hope there was a turning from sin, as the Ephesians were, they were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he said, but God, who is rich in mercy, and then they turned their life around. So at salvation, there should be a turning from, a turning from whatever you were doing in the past to God. And then true salvation should be, as Paul did, or Saul at the time, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Whatever you want, Lord, my life is yours. Reminds me of that great song, my life is yours to control. 
I give you my heart and my soul. I'll seek your will, never mine. But is that our life? Is that what we truly believe? Surrender. True salvation should be, should lead to surrender. True surrender should lead to sacrifice. Remember, we're talking about the cause of Christ. In order to do anything for the cause of Christ, you've got to be saved, surrendered. And then true surrender would lead, to, would lead to sacrifice. The funny thing about sacrifice is it's not really sacrifice. It's giving to God back what he's already given you. Everything you have is from God. God's provided every, the clothes on your back, the, the church building that we're in, the life that you have, the breath that you take. That's not yours. God gives that to you. The job that you have so that you can get the money that you have to pay for your bills and your house and whatever financial obligations you have, that's not yours. That's what God's given to you. So sacrifice once you really realize it, it's not sacrifice. It's saying, all right, Lord, you, you've given it to me. Here it is. I'll give it up. If that's what you want me to do. Sacrifice. Look in, in Acts 9 here. It says, and he trembling in, a, in verse 6 here. It says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And look what he did in Verse 8, and Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He, he obeyed. He surrendered and obeyed what God wanted him to do. And through that, you see what he sacrificed? He, there was definitely a turning from, because we know Saul's past. He sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed all his friends. He sacrificed his family so that he could serve the Lord. Everything that he knew. Think about it, folks. That was all he knew, was persecuting the church of God. And now the Lord wants to use him, and now he's got to sacrifice. All right, Lord, I'll turn from that. I'll follow you. Are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice? What about your time? Be willing to sacrifice maybe a little bit more time to spend in God's Word. I was, he just mentioned it. It's a letter from God. Do you long to read it? Sacrifice just maybe an extra TV show to read the Word of God. Sacrifice a little bit extra time. Would we be willing to sacrifice time for Christ? Would you be willing to sacrifice your money for Christ? Oftentimes we feel like it is our money. I earned it. I worked hard for it. So it's mine, and I get to do with it whatever I want. Well, that's true to some extent, but what if we said, Lord, this is your money. What do you want me to do with it? You know what the Bible says? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure? your treasure in earthly things that don't matter, that moth and du uh, dust will corrupt? Would you be willing to sacrifice your money for the cause of Christ? How about your desires? Would you be willing to give up on the things that you would want to do in this life to do 
what God wants. Would you be willing to go to Russia if God called you? Would you be willing to go to the mission field somewhere else? Not necessarily Russia. I mean, Russia is a good need. But there's other needy places. Would you be willing to sacrifice your desires? Look at Acts chapter 13. Lastly, and I'll be done here. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. It says, And as they ministered to the Lord, they fasted. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. For the cause of Christ. We have to be saved. Surrendered. True salvation should lead to surrender. True surrender should lead to true sacrifice. True sacrifice should lead to true separation. Well, let's see here. But he said, separate me, Barnabas, and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. So what are we to be separated from? Well, they separated themselves from their friends and family. What they knew. I'm not saying necessarily. For us, that's our calling. Do we have, to, we have to separate ourselves from our friends and family. I'm not necessarily saying, no, we can't talk. Anyone, friends, family. Nope. I'm not saying that. That's, that's for, I mean, it applies specifically to us. But would you be willing to? That's the question. If God wanted you to, would you be willing to? Let's look, turn over. To, I've got a few more scriptures here. Leviticus. Leviticus 18. Separation. Leviticus 18. Well, what are we supposed to be separated from? Well, how about the world and the activities of the world? Look in verse 2. Leviticus 18.2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. Listen, folks. They make, he made it personal. He, said, he, he didn't say, I am the Lord the God. He said, I am the Lord, your God. Right. You know, we serve the same God of the children of Israel. Right. Yeah. So we can say, hey, that God is our God. Yeah. Make it personal. Verse 3, after the doings of the land of Egypt, what is Egypt a symbol of? The world. Wherein ye dwell, ye shall not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, ye sh- shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in the ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein, I am the Lord, your God. He said, hey, look, I want you to separate yourself. After the, after the children of, or out of the land of Egypt, the doings of the land of Egypt, ye shall not do. You know what that means? The doings of the world. Folks, I'm not necessarily talking about going to Walmart. That's a necessity. But doing things uh, that the world participates in? We're not supposed to be a part of that. We are to be a holy people. Leviticus 20, verse 26, says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Severed. Man, when I think of that, I think of deer hunting. I, I love hunting. I don't know if anyone else does or not. I love hunting. And, buddy, whenever you kill a deer and you start cleaning it, we butchered our own deer. We 
did all that. We didn't have, so we didn't have to pay for someone else to do it. Dad taught us how to do it. You'd have to, you know, cut out the meat, cut off the legs to get the meat off of there. You know what you're doing? You're severing that deer in, in pieces. It's kind of a graphic, man. It's kind of a graphic illustration, but you get the picture. The Lord said, and you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. He was talking to the children of Israel, but we're Christians. What does that mean? We're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to live like Christ, severed from other people. Out of the, the doings of the land of Egypt shall ye not do. Separation. Separation. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter six. Turn there real quick. Look in verse 14. It says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. A lot of preachers preach marriage in that passage, and it's very applicable. It, for sure, marriage is definitely one of those. Pastor, can I use you for a second? Sure. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That means friends in your workplace, you, you're, you're, you're there with unbelievers, no doubt. But you don't have to buddy up and, hey, you know, let's go hang out. Let's go after work and let's go, you know, let's go to a bar or whatever. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Thanks, Pastor Bill. It's not necessarily just about marriage. As I said, it's, but it's very applicable with marriage for sure. But an illustration it's a very personal illustration because it's about my brother, one of my brothers. That's what he did. He would go out and hang out with unbelievers after work, and he would get used to them, and they would hang out, and I don't even know what they would do. They would, they would just hang out. And you know, you know the mentality behind it is, oh, well, I'll be a good influence on them. <laughs> Folks, let's get that out of our head. Because you remember our nature? It's a sinful nature. And you know, when you have three unbelievers, four unbelievers, and you're the only Christian, and they say, hey, let's go do this, you know what you're going to do? <laughs> you're going to go do that because you don't want to stand up to them. So that's what he did. Now he doesn't even go to church. Y'all heard my testimony. I grew up in a Christian home. This was our life. And now he doesn't go to church. 
He's smoking. You know why? He got yoked up with unbelievers. And the Bible says, be not unequally yoked. It says, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Yeah, we can work with them. It's a necessity. I worked, I worked a secular job. I understand that. But I was talking with my dad. We don't have to put any undue pressure on us. Why, why, do we put our, why would we put ourselves in situations where we have to stand up or have that undue pressure on, on us as Christians? We're, pray ye that ye enter not into temptation. So why would we put ourselves into a position of temptation? Separation. True salvation should lead to true surrender. True surrender should lead to true sacrifice. True sacrifice should lead to true separation. So how are we doing tonight, church? Are we separated? Are we surrendered? Are we saved? That's the main question. Because none of this, you can't, you're not going to be able to do anything for the cause of Christ unless if you got that settled. How are we tonight? Are we surrendered? Are we surrendered to say, Lord, whatever, whatever your will is, God, whatever, whatever you want me to do, I want to fulfill your, your desires. More about Jesus would I know. More about Jesus, let me learn more of his holy will discerned. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. Man, that's such a good hymn. But is that our is that our heart? Is that our desire? God, I just I want to learn more about you. God, and I just want to do whatever you want me to do. Lord, I you've saved me with your blood. You've saved me from the penalty of death. You've saved me from going to a place called hell. The least I can do is give my life back to you. God, I want to serve you. Are you surrendered? And then if God said, hey, I want you to give this up, would you be willing to sacrifice? Just give it back to God that's already his. Or maybe there's some places in your life that you may, you need to separate yourself from. You know what? This isn't something that I should be a part of. It's taken me out of church or it's taken me out of good activities of, of the church. Maybe taken me out of soul winning. Man, I, should, I shouldn't be a part of this. Maybe I should separate myself. Where are we at tonight, church? Every head bowed, every eye closed.